0: help uh, lead crew here at UGA is one of the full-time staff and I'm so glad that you guys are here tonight in a busy test week as everybody has homework and projects and such like that and I'm excited to to be with us here tonight Um, I'm not sure how I'm expected to get up here and speak after Amanda that was amazing (laughs) I love hearing your story it's just like, okay, that's not fair. Put me up here after her like that. That's just, I love hearing about God working in you. We're going to miss you. You sure you want to graduate? Okay, never mind. We'll have this conversation later. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you here on a, <clears throat> a night in November. Seek your face to take a break from uh, the school schedule, to take a break from Everything else that demands our time and attention to be with our brothers and sisters. Lord, would you condescend to be with us tonight, to give our souls rest in you. Speak to us, to speak to those who <clears throat> need to be spoken to in a special way tonight from your word. Lord, would you, would you glorify yourself? Lord, for those tonight who just need to hear your word and tuck it away for a time in the future, then Lord, do that. Lord, for those who need to hear your word tonight because their souls are crying out for the word that's about to be spoken, Lord, speak and do that. But Lord, minister to us, we pray, and open our eyes to the great things that you have as we continue to look and see what you'd say to us. And use me to do it, I pray. Amen. Let's read it. O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like a man without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves, Selah. You've taken from me my closest friends and you've made me repulsive to them. I am confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Salah. Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? Are your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? So there's a nice big elephant in the room. Which is, that's not very cheerful, is it? This is probably not what you were expecting when you came to Crew tonight. Suddenly, Alan is on stage and he's playing Debbie Downer. No, it's deeper than that. But what we just read is a genuine piece of scripture. We are going through a series in the Psalms. And as we have been going through, we have been examining different ways that the Psalms teach us to pray. And we are calling this series God's Playlist because the psalms are songs and they are songs that the Lord has given us to be able to sing in our faith. They are prayers the Lord has given us to be able to pray, to teach us the words to say when we don't have words, to teach us how to respond to him, to teach us how we approach him and how we address him. And the psalm I just read for you tonight was Psalm 88. Now, I'm trying to make a point by starting out that way, and that is this, you know, you all have playlists on Spotify or wherever you get your music, and you know, you have different kinds of playlists, right? You all have different songs in your different playlists, and some days you're going to listen to happy up and some days you're going to listen to, you know, guitar music for a beautiful fall drive, and another day you're going to listen to, like, pop upbeat music. But then there's also those days when you're sad, Right? So there might be a day you listen to dance music, but then the next day you listen to red. (laughs) There might be a day that you're listening to a playlist one day called Sunny Day, and then there's another day you're listening to a playlist called Rainy Day Vibes, right? (laughs) You all have these things. We all have music has different kinds, am I right? There's different genres, there's different moods, there's different sounds that we want. Well, guess what? The Psalms, as songs of God, as God's playlist, is the same way. There are different kinds of music and different kinds of songs that we are called to sing. John Calvin, I think, has a great quote about this, in which he kind of makes the point that all of our emotions can be found somewhere in the 150 Psalms. And he says it like this. I have been accustomed to calling the book of Psalms the anatomy of all the parts of the soul. I like that. For there is not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here represented as a mirror. Rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to the life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. And that was written in the 1500s, hence the The uh, formal sounding language, and it's not quite as inclusive as we're used to. But John Calvin, as a theologian, knows that the Psalms are given to us as a gift. And it's not just a partial gift. But everything we could feel and experience is there. And here's the message. The Psalms tell us this way, that we can go to God in any situation we have in life. Psalms are such a blessing because in them, they recognize that we have deep feelings and they instruct us what to do with those feelings. Now, the category of psalm that we're going to talk about tonight, the category of the psalms that encompasses suffering is called lament. About 70 out of the 150 psalms are laments. Now, think about that for a second nearly half the psalms in the Psalter are psalms of sadness psalms of suffering and grief that should tell us something i think and this is hard for us to grasp and i think i think there's a couple of reasons for that one is we don't really know how to do this well today in american culture we live in an american culture in which We are kind of expected to be happy. We are a prosperous culture. We are a culture in which we have so many things at our fingertips. And we're a a culture that likes to sell. And sad things don't really sell as much as happy things. I feel like maybe this is part of the reasons we don't really know how to come face to face with suffering and to lament. We know how to complain. We know how to gripe. We know how to accuse other people. We don't really know how to lament. And I don't think as the church we really know how to lament. Think about it. How many modern worship songs of lament can you think of? It's pretty tough. When I sat down and started preparing this and asked myself that question, I could really only think of one or two. And part of that reason, I think, is because we're not very good at it. And part of it may just be typically most modern worship music that is written right now, is written by young people, which kind of makes sense. They're kind of young songs appealing to a young generation. But if you're in your your late 20s or early 30s, it may be we haven't lived a whole lot of life or enough life to really encounter the need to lament. Sometimes you just have to live a lot of years for that to be true. And I think that leads to the third reason this is really hard. Honestly, this is just not something that is kind of typical of college life. We don't really think about lamenting suffering that much in college. There's so many positives in college and so much of the future is ahead. And this is not a time to be sad in life, really. And yet, 70 of the 150 psalms are psalms of lament. Which tells us something about the human condition as a whole. And maybe that tells us something about a bigger picture of life than just our, our college years. So this is where we are. Lament is basically this. It's the Christian's recognition that there is something tragically wrong with the world. We live in a broken creation in which there is pain and there is injustice and there is suffering. And a lot of it, frankly, just seems maddeningly irrational. It just seems like it happens for no good reason at all. And we live in a world where we experience pain and death and that leads to grief and disappointment. And we don't have a solution and we can't fix it. So one of the authors that's a little more modern than John Calvin that I read, he, he said it this way. He said, "No, go back. One more, go back. There we go. Lament is the song we sing while living in a world that is under the curse of sin, but It's not just a song of mad rage or hopelessness or blindness. It's not just raging against the machine. No. Here's what he goes on to say. It is precisely out of trust that God is sovereign that the psalmist repeatedly brings these elements and petitions to the Lord. Therefore, lament is rooted in what we believe. Very important. It is prayer loaded with theology. How is that? Christians affirm that the world is broken, but God is powerful and he will be faithful. Therefore, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. I like this sentence too. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. And I think you see his point. Sadness is shaped by good theology. In other words, it's shaped by what you know to be true... It's shaped by what you know to be true of God. The Psalms give us this kind of prayer. And so we're going to take a look at that tonight. And I'm going to walk you through one. We're going to look at Psalm 13. Example of a Psalm of Lament. Somewhat short. It's only six verses long, which is one of the reasons I chose it. And here's how it goes. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord... Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And every day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. I'm trying to read this expressively because I don't know how you can read a psalm of lament without trying to read it expressively. It would make no sense. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. That's the entirety of the psalm. Now, this is a psalm of lament. Now, as we read a psalm like that, let's just make a few simple observations. There have been entire books written on lament and diving deep into them. If you want to look at some of them afterwards, you can talk to me and I can recommend some really good ones for you. But in this psalm, I think this is enough for us to make a few really important observations. And whether you are a person who needs the ability to lament now in your life or whether you are a person who won't need it till later, just file it away if that's you. Because at some point in life, you will need it. And it's here. But here's what God wants us to know, I think, from these psalms of lament. And the first thing is this. We can be brutally honest with God. All right? He's a big God. He can handle it. He can handle your feelings. Do you know why you have emotions? You and I have emotions because God has emotions. We are created in his image. We are created with souls and our emotions reflect his. Think about the times in scripture that you see God expresses emotions. God gets angry in scripture. He gets angry at idolatry. He gets angry at his people. Jesus himself got angry at the injustice and the money changers in the temple and flipped over their tables. God gets happy. God is satisfied. When God made creation in Genesis, he looked at it and said it's good. He was satisfied with it. In the same way that you write a paper and you work really hard on it and you're like, "Ah, that turned out really well. You have that emotion because God has that emotion. God loves. We have so many verses about God loving. As a matter of fact, 1 John 4 even says, God not only loves, God is love. In other words, the very essence of who God is, is love, which is an emotion. god possesses emotions and our emotions reflect that god is also grieved do you know that one of the ways the new testament describes our sin is that we grieve the holy spirit do you know that when when we sin when we make choices to go against god it makes god sad that's literally what it says that holy spirit who dwells in us if you're a christian he's sad when you sin it hurts him his heart is hurt now, if God is a God of emotion, wouldn't you expect that our emotions would then have a welcome place with him? Wouldn't you expect that he would be able to communicate with us about our emotions? But so many of us, I think, get afraid to like, show our emotions to God. Or we feel like to go to God, we first have to get our emotions all tidy and in order. And then like, go to God with our Sunday best on. That's not how he made you. He knows all of your emotions. Emotions are messy. And you know what? There are lots of messy psalms that you can pray to express them. And psalms of lament are one of them. And that's part of the beauty, isn't it? You can be brutally honest with God. You don't have to hold back. You don't have to hide yourself from him. He's more than willing to hear. Now, I don't know about you. That's a wonderful thought to me. That is an amazingly comforting thought. God can take it. He's more than willing to hear it. It's not like he doesn't know already. But a psalm of the mint gives us words to express it. And that kind of leads to the second point. The second observation would be this. There is a right way and a wrong way to complain to God. Now, one of the things that I think we notice about this is God gives us psalms to give us words. We've said this in our series as we go over and over. There are just times in life you don't know what to pray. And when those moments hit, guess what? There's a whole book of prayers for you that God has already stamped with approval to say, I approve of these words and they're called psalms. And those psalms express those emotions that you might not be able to find an expression for. But the psalms teach us how to pray rightly and so we need to pay attention to the fact that as we approach God, there are sometimes right ways and wrong ways to do it, okay? Could you go back to the Psalm 13 slide, Elise? <clears throat> I want you to notice how this psalm starts. How long, O Lord? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long will my enemy triumph over me? There's a pattern here that I think we're supposed to take note of. One of the ways that we can approach God is with that question. How long? How long is this going to go on? God loves to hear that question. That evidently is a good way to approach a holy God. God, you know and I don't. You're over this and I'm not. But I'm suffering and how long is this going to go on? How long till we're done? That's a sign of respect, as it were. Right? That's one question we can ask. Another question we can ask is the question, why? Psalmists all throughout the Psalms, they ask, why am I suffering? Or here, will you forget me forever? Some people, some of the Psalms will say, why, O Lord, do you not look upon your people? Why is this happening, in other words? Sometimes we feel like God is not accepting of the question, why, but definitely that's not a disrespectful question either. God is quite happy to hear the question, why? Because it admits that we don't know everything, but he does. We can go to him with that kind of honesty. And so these psalms teach us the right and the wrong ways to ask questions. Look at me, Lord. Do you see? How long will you ignore me? Is this going to go on forever? All these complaints are great. They're valid because they're straight from the heart. But what are the wrong ways to talk to God? What are the ways you see psalms not talk to God? One of the things you see Psalms not do is blame God. God, this is all your fault, as if God made a mistake somewhere. That's not in there. Maybe another wrong way is calling God just or uncaring. In other words, contradicting his revealed character is not the way to do it. By saying, God, you're like this. And actually, he's not, because he's already revealed to you he's not that kind of God. Or telling God that he owes you. You know, in Job 41.11, I think God says, everything... Who has, a, who, has a, who has a claim against me that I have to pay? Everything under heaven is mine. It's like God doesn't owe any of us. Or maybe discounting our own sins is part of the problem. One of the things you notice in the Psalms of Lament is over and over again, as a person laments his or her suffering, he also confesses his sins. It says, Lord, forgive me. In other words, we recognize our sin as part of the problem. To completely refuse to acknowledge that our sin is part of the brokenness of this world evidently is a wrong way to go about it, too. So, hence my second point, if we can go back to that. There are right ways and there are wrong ways to complain to the Lord. There are times when God's perspective and ours don't line up, and it's just so confusing. The story comes to mind thinking of Mary and Martha. Do you remember that story in the New Testament where Lazarus is sick, sick, and they send to Jesus and say, please come, because they know he can heal him. And then Jesus waits three days, and he doesn't go. And then finally he says, okay, now it's time to go. Well, by the time he gets there, Lazarus is dead. Mary and Martha are just madly, deeply devoted to Jesus. And Mary comes up to him. Do you remember what Mary's question is? She says, Lord, if you had been here. And she just pours out her heart in tears. And she's so confused. And she's so mad. It's like, you knew this. You didn't come. You could have healed him if you had just been here. And she just, she's almost furious with him. She's so sad. But she's so confused. And Jesus weeps with her. And then, of course, he does something even greater than she ever imagined and raises Lazarus from the dead and God's glory is revealed in a way that they never anticipated. And there's this picture of in her confusion over God and the way that he seemed to not see her and not respond, she realizes Jesus actually knew something far greater was going on and was doing something far bigger than she expected. There's a realization that My perspective and God's perspective did not fully line up. Sometimes it's like that. And psalms of lament help us frame that tension and that confusion. Here's the last one. Number three. Laments have a typical pattern. They go from plea to praise. This is something that you will often see in a psalm. You ask God for what you want. You say you're trusting God's character. But then, can we put Psalm 13 back up again? Look at the last two verses, verses 5 and 6. There's this word, but. Often in the psalm of lament, near the end, there's a word but, or yet, or and. And it's a turning point in which the psalmist changes perspective. And look what the psalmist says. He says, but, even though all this craziness is happening, I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. By faith, the psalmist says, I will praise you. By faith, the psalmist says, I will trust you. There's this turn of positivity, this turn to the Lord to say, Yes, Lord, I will follow you. It goes from plea to praise. And almost every psalm of lament does this, except one Psalm 88, which is what I read when we started. Here's how Psalm 88 ends. From my youth I have been afflicted and close to death. I have suffered your terrors and I am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. That's it. That's the end. That's how the psalm ends in Psalm 88. And when you look at this psalm, it's very close cousin, Psalm 44. There is this reality. Here in the Psalter, we have a psalm that does not turn to praise. And this is how it ends. Do you see it? It just ends with darkness there are times in life that some people experience that are so deep that are so despairing and so full of suffering that it is hard to put it in words I Find it probable that no one in this room has been to that place. I won't won't say impossible. Perhaps there is someone who has. Perhaps there is someone in this room who has suffered an abuse or a death or a grief that has left you in this place of just darkness. Maybe you have. I would say usually this stage is so deep that only those who have experienced a whole lot of life have typically ever gotten there. And some people will never encounter the stage their whole, whole life. Um, I think a lot of you know, a year and a half ago, I walked through a year-long battle with cancer with my wife, Karen, and eventually lost her. And I know what it means to experience grief. But even I don't think I have been to Psalm 88. I don't think I have been to that place And I wonder, I think maybe there are some refugees on the Belarus-Poland border right now that may be there. I'm willing to bet that there were Syrian refugees who were there, Jews during the Holocaust who were there. But it didn't always take anything that drastic. I have a friend right now who I discipled as a student a long time ago. Moved to Southern California and had a very well paying high pressure job in the medical industry <clears throat> at some point he began in this high pressure job to take some pretty powerful anti-anxiety medications he was only supposed to take them for a short time but under bad direction from a certain doctor he ended up taking them literally for years non-stop until it began to affect his brain chemistry in such a way that <clears throat> everything started going wrong he tried to come off of these drugs was taken off of them badly. He has spent the past 14 months of his life now in rehab, moving from one one center to another. Um, at some point, he banged his head on the floor, the wall, and not knowing who he was and what he was doing, he may have a traumatic brain injury now. And um, he's currently in a facility in Florida. Uh, which is the only facility that he could go to now because he had some violent tendencies that he's trying to work out of. I talk to him on the phone pretty regularly. And when I speak to him on the phone, he weeps. And he calls out and he says, I cry out to Jesus all day, every day. Where is he? I don't feel him. I don't feel joy I don't feel anything positive. I am in a pit. I can't get out. Where is Jesus? Why does he not answer me? And we have these conversations like this week after week after week. And I pray with him. And I don't know how much is getting through. Sometimes I think a lot is. Sometimes I don't think anything is. And he just talks about being in depression and despair. And I think he is one of the few people I have ever met that knows how to pray Psalm 88. Now, I I share all that for a reason. Because there's a message in the way Psalm 88 ends, and I think it is this. What God is trying to tell us is that even in the deepest, darkest, most despairing time of life that we could ever experience even in the greatest suffering that we could ever imagine or not imagine even when we are in the pit of depression and think we could go no deeper even there he is there and we have words to pray we have Psalm 88 How is it possible that in such a place we could still have access to God? And I thought about that, and I think the answer is it's through the cross. On the cross, if you remember, Jesus quotes a lament psalm. Did you know that? When Jesus is on the cross and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's actually quoting Psalm 22, which is a psalm of lament. Jesus is experiencing such a painful depth, such a darkness of being separated from the Father, of being removed from the love of the Trinity to take on our punishment and our shame and our guilt to free us that he cries out in lament. He took the deepest, darkest suffering and pain that could possibly be on our behalf so that we might have access to God. It is the gospel that gives us that access, even in the worst places. And that's what Paul says. Remember later in Romans 8, Paul also quotes a lament psalm. He quotes Psalm 44 when he says, For your sake we're put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. And then you know what Paul says? He says, No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us through Christ Jesus. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither the present nor the future, neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, nor anything else in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, no suffering, no hardship, no despair, no darkness. Lament is vanquished in Christ. And one day... We will be with God in a place where there will be no more crying or pain or tears or sorrow or death. That's what Revelation 21 and 22 describes. The new heaven and the new earth. And that has been bought for us through Christ. So until then, we do not despair. But we do lament. Let's pray. Lord God, you are great and awesome in every way. Thank you, Lord, for the words of your psalms. Thank you, Lord, for your heart. Thank you, Lord, that you know us and the suffering that we go through. Lord, I just praise you and thank you that for every one of us here in this room, you know every emotion we feel. You know every hardship. You know every burden. You know every sadness. And you know every grief. Lord Jesus, you have walked through them. Thank you so much for your heart toward us. Thank you so much for giving us the words to pray even in the worst of times. Lord, I do pray for the men and women in this room. Lord, if they have not experienced this yet, Lord, I pray by your mercy that they might never experience such a depth and such a suffering. But Lord, Lord, most of us in this life do. And Lord, I pray that when that moment comes, you will remind them of these psalms that you will bring them to your word, to bring them to these psalms of lament that they would not wander from you and that they would not step away from you in frustration or confusion, that they would not blame you, that they would not be angry with you. Lord, I pray that in your kindness you would draw them to yourself, even through the words of these psalms, Lord, that they could pray to you and that you would protect their souls in the midst of that suffering. But Lord, mostly we look to you and we just say you are such a God and we cannot help but worship you. We cannot help but praise you. Lord, in these psalms, we have seen more of you, and we cherish you. And so, Lord, as we sing these songs for the rest of this night, would you please accept our worship and our declaration that you are really a great and amazing God. Amen.